Chapter Twelve of Autumn Leaves. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Autumn Leaves, edited by Anna Wales Abbott. Miseries Number Three Twine. Under the general heading of string, I might enumerate a long list of this world's miseries. Shoestrings alone comprehend an amount of wretchedness which is but feebly described in the tragical story of Jemmy String. Bonnet strings and apron strings, dicky strings and watch guards, curtain cord, bed cord, and cod line, each and all have furnished enough discomfort to make out a long grumbling article. But I cannot linger to describe their treacherous desertions when their services are most needed their unexpected weaknesses, and their obstinate entanglements when time presses. A certain pudding-bag string is commemorated in one of the beautiful couplets of Mother Goose's medallies. I am sure you have not forgotten it. Nor is the staring spotted cat that is there represented racing away with her booty. That lamented pudding-bag string is but a type of string in general. They are fleeting possessions, always hiding, always misplaced, never in order. You fit up a string drawer, perhaps, with a fine assortment, and pride yourself upon its nice arrangement. Go to it a week after, and see if you can find one ball where you left it. Can you lay your hand upon a single piece that you want? No, indeed. Twine is considered common property. If any one has a use for it, he takes it without leave or license without even inquiring who is the owner, and you may be sure he will never bring any of it back again. Oh, the misery endured for the want of an errant piece of twine, when you are in a nervous hurry to do up a parcel, someone waiting at the door meanwhile. After an immense deal of pains, you have it at last folded to your liking, with every corner squared and even every wrinkle smoothed. Then, clasping tightly with one hand the stiff wrapper, you search distractedly with the other for a ball of twine, which you distinctly remember tossing into the paper drawer only the day before. In vain you surround yourself with newspaper and brown paper and useless rubbish, tumbling your whole drawer into confusion. In vain you relinquish your nicely packed parcel and see its contents scattered in all directions. In vain you grumble and scold. The ball is not forthcoming. Your little brother has seized it to fly his kite. Or your sister is even now tying up her trailing morning glories or sweet peas with the stolen booty. You plunge your hand exploringly into the drawer and bring up a long roll wound thickly with twine of all kinds and colors. Your eyes sparkle at the prize. But, alas! The first energetic pull leaves in your hand a piece about four inches long, and a quantity of dangling ends and rough knots convince you that you have nothing to hope in that quarter. A second plunge brings up a handful of odds and ends, strong pieces, clumsy and rough, coarse red quill cord, delicate two-colored bits far too short, cotton twine breaking at the touch, fine long pieces hopelessly tangled together so that not even an end is visible. The more you twitch at the loops, the more desperate is the snarl. Poor mortal! 
your pride gives way before the urgency of haste. You send off your nice packet miserably tied together by two kinds of twine. All the rest of the day you are tormented by the superfluity of the very thing you needed so much. It was impossible to get it when you wanted it, but now it is perniciously in your way when you do not want it. You almost break your neck tripping over a long, firm cord, which proves to be a pair of reins left hanging on the chair by some careless urchin. The carpet and furniture are strewed with long, straggling pieces of pack-thread. You find a white end dangling conspicuously from your waistcoat pocket. As you walk the streets, you see twine flying from fences, or lying uselessly on the sidewalk, black with dust and age. To crown the whole, a friend comes with a piece of twine extending across two rooms, and asks you to help him twist and double it into a cord. It is a very entertaining process. You amuse yourself with watching one little rough place that twirls swiftly round, stops with a jerk, turns hesitatingly one side and the other, then, yielding to a new impulse, flies round and round again until you are dizzy. You look with great complacency at the tightening twist, now brought almost to perfection. You turn it carelessly in your fingers, scarcely noticing its convulsive starts for freedom. Ah, your imprudent friend, without any warning, gives it a final pull to stretch it into shape. The twine slips from your grasp, springs away across the room, curls itself into a succession of snarls and twisted loops, and then lies motionless. Your friend looks thunderstruck. With a hasty apology, you step forward and tightly clasp the recreant end. You are in nervous expectation of dropping it again. Your fingers are benumbed at the tips with their tight compression and the constant twitching. They give a sudden jerk. You make an involuntary clutch for the cord, but in vain. It is rapidly untwisting at the very feet of your companion, who looks at it in despair. Again you make an attempt with no success at all, the refractory twine eluding your utmost endeavors to hold it. Once more, your fellow twister walks off at last with a wretchedly rough affair, which she good-humoredly says will do very well. End of Miseries Number 3, Twine